biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was you in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. My name is Jacob Wolf, and as I mentioned on the previous episode with Nate Nancer, we are live from South by Southwest at the Longhorn Network in Austin, Texas. Today we'll be talking to Sam Matthews of Fanatic. Yesterday we talked to Nate Nancer of the Overwatch League, and then later we'll be talking to Raul Sood of Unicorn. Uh, appreciate the Longhorn Network for hosting us, and before we get started in talking to Sam, a word from our sponsors. Gamers like to customize everything, from their gaming rig all the way down to the way their characters look. And now Schick has developed a way for them to customize their shave, too. Introducing new Schick Hydro 5 Sense razors and refills. Equipped with innovative shock absorber technology, the razor auto-adjusts based on how you shave, backing off or adding pressure when needed. Three custom gel formula refill cartridges enable you to further personalize your shave. Available in hydrate gel with coconut oil to hydrate throughout each shave, comfort gel with herbal extracts to comfort skin, and energized gel with menthol to wake up tired-looking skin. Customize your shave with new Schick Hydro 5 Cents, available now at Walmart for an everyday low price. For more savings, visit Schick.com. So I'm joined by Sam Matthews, founder of Fanatic. Is that your official title? Uh, Founder and chairman, yeah. Okay. So... Uh, we're at South by Southwest. You are having a talk later today. Are you excited about that? Is this and is this your first South by? It's not my first South by. Uh, I actually came here for the interactive part. Uh, I'm very much in the tech world a little bit too, so I came back. I guess like four or five years ago, uh, and loved it. Really, it's it's it was a great kind of place to meet a lot a lot of fun people and 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 have a good sort of conversation about the future of the world. Uh, I'm excited about today. We're going to be talking about I guess the rise of the new world sports or the rise of esports uh, and you know the opportunities of it being a lifestyle brand in the future. So that's something I did want to ask about, right? You are very well positioned, I believe, in the fact that you, you founded Fanatic. They're one of the older teams in the space. You know, they've, they've been around much longer than others. What is kind of the biggest takeaway you've seen over the last 10 years or whatever of this transition from, you know, little startups to now multi-million dollar companies? Yeah, I mean, I think... I kind of was lucky. I, I started it very young, and I was running it for four years, and I actually took about a six-year break where I set up another couple of companies and learned a lot about the tech world and developed a lot of products uh, and got an opportunity to kind of see it from the outside in, more of a kind of strategic point of view. And and that's allowed me, when I came back full-time three years ago, to ha- sort of both have like this kind of new lease of life on esports. And I think esports was one of those things where it's had a lot of false starts where you're, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be amazing, now's the time. And, and really it took a, a kind of a whole special mix of Twitch to really become relevant and streaming you know, costs to go down and brands to recognize that esports is, is a, a re- legitimate thing that they need to reach young audiences and then generally speaking the games to become much more focused around their esports initiatives and and, and become you know i guess robust and mature sport esport titles so what made you want to come back three years ago what what was the motivation behind that I mean, I think that the main thing was is the fact that obviously, you know, we built this brand. I've been chaperoning it from afar a long, long time, and I still had a huge affinity with it. And 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 I felt that now was the time where bigger things could be done on a global scale. And and before it was kind of, you know, a lot of head heads banging against walls, trying to make enough revenue to 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 to, to, to survive. Uh, and then suddenly it became interesting to 
investors, it came interesting to the media, and it came interesting to brands. And that meant that I could do a lot more within it. And, and that was kind of the reason I left eSports in the beginning. It's just I wasn't able to do much myself to help it scale. You know, I could develop the team and I could be as good as the team could be. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's like a rising tide. You know, you have to wait for the tide to get there. Uh, and that's kind of where uh, it, it was it was quite beneficial that, that, that I had that hiatus because now the tide has definitely risen. <laughs> How hard was it to interest other people like Victor and others to run your baby, I guess? Well, so you mean Malta, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, look, I mean, ultimately, they're part owners in the company, and, and, and everybody who you know, is in the higher levels of Fnatic is part owner in the company, and we're trying to encourage that. You know, We're very generous in, in, in sort of giving ownership to, to employees, and, and for us, it's, it's all about building something much bigger than ourselves. So it's not really about my baby, it's all about babies, and it's about a mission, which is to help lead esports into every household. And that's kind of where, you know, whilst we do think of ourselves as a team, and that's a big part of our, our anatomy, it's not the only thing that we're focused on. I know you've done things in clothing. You've done things, obviously, now in uh, gear. How, how are these other ventures? What are you trying to do with Fnatic and those types of, uh, I guess, industries? Yeah, so at the end of the day, I think esports has a, a slightly different uh, sort of dynamic than traditional sports. Obviously, the main thing is that we are in multiple sports. Uh, you know, we are in Counter-Strike, League of Legends, Dota, and, and that allows us to be, I guess, more of a brand because you know, in our history we've been in 24 different titles. That's a lot of different games. It's a lot of different gamers that have been, you know, accessing our brand, been a fan of our brand, and and there's also a lot more sort of global scale to this. You know, whereas NFL might be a traditional U.S. sport, uh, you know, cricket is very much an English and in certain sort of Commonwealth country sport. You know, a lot of esports titles span the globe, and that means that there is so much more opportunity when it comes to doing, you know, academies, doing, um, you know, products. And, I, and and the other major thing which is different is that we use the same equipment pretty much, you know, across all of the esports. Whereas in traditional sports, it's like NFL to basketball to tennis. It's a completely different set of equipment. And so, you know, for us as as a brand within that space, it's it's not just that we see this as 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 a way to, you know, I guess, make more revenue. It's it's more that, you know, we we don't want to sit around on our on our you know, bums waiting for the esports revenues to get there. We want to sort of go out and and and, and get as much as we can to to help grow the industry. And what is your day to day with Fanatic look like right now? Like, what is what are you doing with the the company and from your position? Yeah. So, I mean. First and foremost, you know, it's about hammering home that mission. You know, we're trying to be the most successful team of all time. I think you could say, arguably, that we've had that success in the past. You know, it's much more competitive now to be that successful. Uh, I think we're still doing a great job. You know, Counter-Strike is still up there in the top three. League of Legends is the best in Europe, arguably. And my remit is really looking at all the opportunities in the space, and there is a ton of opportunity in the space and really helping to deliver on those new projects. So that might be the hardware, or as we call it, esports equipment. You've got eight new products coming out this year. We're very excited about those. We didn't launch a new product in 2017. I've had a a complete team that have come from your traditional companies like Corsair and Razer to to develop those products. Uh, And we're very excited about the merger between 
an esports sort of know-how uh, with the hardware expertise that they have. So I work with that team. I work with the apparel ventures where we're doing a number of, you know, we did 85 different apparel items last year in clothing. Uh, and we're going to be doing some interesting things this year with, with, with other, other people, not just ourselves. Uh, and I think that's where, uh, where, you know, my focus is, is largely for, you know, I'm not, I'm not messing with what was working for the past 13 years, basically, which is there's Patrick, there's Wouter, there's a whole infrastructure behind the team. And I get to focus on the other parts of the business. And to you, really in Europe, there, there are very few brands that have had like multi-platform success. You know, on a, a long period of time, you look at your top teams in Europe and most popular teams in League of Legends, it's G2, Splice, Fnatic, Misfits, etc. Right? But they're mostly relatively new uh, in comparison to you all. Counter Strike is a little different. There are definitely those longer brands, your Virtus Pros, your Navi's, but they don't have every title. Uh, covered right like they're not very much in league of legends and successful in that and fanatic has been one that's been successful in all of the top titles across the history of this industry what has it been like trying to manage all of that and and keep those priorities across multiple game titles and across a long period of time yeah i mean i think arguably you could say in the world there's not many teams out there i think you know even tsm largely successful from their League of Legends franchise and obviously they've done a very amazing job there. You know, I think Cloud9 has, has had more success in, in branching out into other games and, and been very, very amazing. I'm very you know, impressed with, with, with that and, and Team Liquid, I guess, as well. Outside of that, I think there is, you know, only a sort of fanatic and, 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 and if you look at the sort of global success and measure it, I think you can say that Obviously, you know, Dota we're not necessarily have been the best, but in Counter Strike, you know, we're the only team that's ever been in every single major quarterfinals. Uh, you know, in League of Legends, we, we're the only team that won the, the World Championship, albeit it was the first one. Uh, but you know, how we maintain that success? I mean, I would put that largely down to Patrick Sadaman. Uh, and his role as a sort of CGO, which is something that you know was very important early on after he he quit being the leader of the Counter Strike team. Was to empower him, give him ownership in the company, and really you know, back him because he's someone I I really believed in since day one. I mean, there was a time when we had a choice, which was keep Forrest and get right, or or keep Patrick, uh, and we be, built an entire new team around Patrick, and we got rid of all the star players uh, because we believed that Patrick for us was always going to be way more important to our business than than just uh, a, you know you know a player, and it's you know. I think fast forward 10 years later, he's been from a, that expertise of being that upper echelon of a player. He's brought in infrastructure. He's talked, talked the talk the way the players want. He's helped to make sure that we're structured correctly. And I think now, you know, there is a, a, a structure where we have a team director role, which is almost the CEO of each game. We then have managers, analysts underneath that. So it starts to become almost like its own company in a way per game and that's kind of how we see it moving forward we don't we don't see it you know and and, and it is to our detriment sometimes because you know jack has such a hands-on role in c9 and all his success we kind of have a hands-off role where we're trying to empower the people who run those teams to, to control their destiny and that means that sometimes it's like people think ah, oh, well that doesn't care about us or you know but actually it's us, us trying to make sure that we have a healthy long-term stable uh, enterprise with, with with the leadership that we're putting in place in each of those teams 
So you talked about losing star players, and obviously when it comes to League of Legends, that's I guess that's what Fnatic was built around for quite a while. You think of XPK and so as, and when they left and they went to Origin. What was it like trying to like rebuild that and then keep <laughs> keep the brand relevant? And obviously Hoonie and Rainover came in and that team was great. You know, like they they were basically as good as the team that you had prior to losing your stars. Not gonna be better. <laughs> yeah. What what was it like trying to like keep the brand relevant in the loss of some some of these top tier players that mean so much? Look, I think we first started to panic a little bit. We were worried that you know we couldn't you know get that same success that we had with that previous team. But at the same time, it's a challenge, right? You're you're you're, you're the situation where you have to rebuild something. You know, how do we do it? And, and at Fnatic, we're never afraid to to try new things. And for us, the new thing wasn't just a singular import you know, from, from Korea, it was, let's bring in a duo, someone who speaks English, let's try and make this a cohesive unit where they can work together. Uh, and you know, we went out and, and found some two sort of very promising guys. You know, it very much couldn't have worked out, like there's an opportunity that, there's a chance that that wouldn't have worked. You know, I think there is an element of luck a lot of the time in some of these things, but you know, if you work hard enough, that luck gets mitigated. Uh, and I think the ma- the main takeaway from that was how you know, we were this one sort of set of player franchise, uh, and by replacing almost all of those players and rebuilding a team, we that was the first transition to always fanatic hashtag always fanatic where you know ultimately they're going to back the black and orange regardless of whether what players we have because they 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 trust in our sort of methods to to make sure we pick up the best players and i think that's that's very healthy in esports because what you don't want is you you know, to be building all this work around a team and then it's all reliant on just one star player um and now fast forward i think to today the infrastructure we have is it, it's very healthy you know we've got substitutes even in the, in the top lane and well, i think you know we're doing more and more academies and i think that's kind of where esports is going where you kind of are more traditional like uh, sport-like and have this infrastructure to to have more more and more talent being bred. How important was it to maintain healthy relationships with a lot of the superstars you've lost in across multiple games that have gone away and then they've come back to Fnatic? You know, you look at some of your Counter Strike players that that went over to Gotsa and they came back, and then you look at uh, Reckless and Soaz who went to other teams and then came back to the organization. How important was it to maintain healthy relationships, working relationships with those guys to bring them back and into your organization eventually? Yeah, I mean, look, I think in every business, you, you, you can't be a Dick, this is business, right? Like you have to make sure that you know if you're if you're ending relationship of any class that you, or rejecting an interview a candidate or whatever it might be that the touch point with that is is as best as it can be because you know at the end of the day this is business and it's not personal it's just the way it, the way it happens and I think in the case of you know the the, the situation with the the Counter Strike team is that ultimately it was it was again one of those situations where like you have to choose sides and that's not sort a of healthy place you want to ever be in where you have to like pick a side like who which players are you going to back um, and and ultimately you know that's something that when we're going to try and optimize to, to to not have in the future uh, I think going forward like uh, you know and and, and the, sorry rather going looking back we've always been very upfront with our players and, and try to be you know. 
honest and I think especially in the sort of dark ages of esports you know between sort of 2007 and, and, and until like 2010 and, and, and 11 etc when you know the kind of sponsorship money dried up and, and, and everything it was very, very important that you, you weren't over promising you were always delivering what you promised and I think that's paying dividends now where it's a brand people trust and, and, and rely on and, and as long as we, we stick to what we say then people are going to hopefully respect us and come back and play for us we're going to take a short break when we come back we'll be back more with Sam Matthews from Fanatic before we get back to our conversation with Sam I wanted to give you a call to action to give us a review on iTunes or give us a review on social media platform that works best for you and also if you're listening to the ESPN.com or the ESPN app we are now on Spotify as well so if you're a Spotify subscriber or a Spotify listener you can subscribe to us there as well and now back to our conversation with Sam Matthews of Fanatic Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I'm here again with Sam Matthews from Fnatic. So you've been in the European esports industry for a while, and I'm sure you've seen how financially that has changed. You've also seen from the relationships you have with others in North America how it's changed across the pond as well. What do you think about how esports, comparatively Europe to North America, has changed financially and, and grown as an industry? I think we're all growing. Uh, the whole space is getting more interest uh, from the likes of sponsors and, and, and partners, and that's because ultimately, you know, this is a very hard to reach audience. A, a one audience which is watching Netflix, YouTube, etc. It's like the on-demand economy, and esports is one of the only ways to to, to actually. Uh, track that audience in a live way, right? So the live audience is, is more valuable from an eyeball perspective because you can actually put an ad in front of them rather than ad block it or on demand, etc. So, I, you know, for, for whether or not the U.S. economics are better than Europe or how it's, it's developed, I, I would say that right now the U.S. has a lot more competition for, uh, but then it also has more opportunity. So it's it's a, it's one of those things that, as fanatic, you know, we have struggled maybe four or five years ago, or, or you know, maybe three years ago, with being kind of global, and that there weren't many brands ready to take on a global deal. That is changing now quite quickly, where brands are. You know, actually, we recognize that you know this is a global thing. Let's let's, and it's big enough now that it makes sense to take it to the the higher level. Uh, and then, you know, as we get more professional, you know, because we have our own product team and merchandising team, we also have a very robust marketing team. So we work with our partners to develop a strategy to help reach all of those audiences um, across the world. And I think, you know, going forward, as as as, as esports starts to get more and more legitimacy, we will start to see more and more brands coming in. And and I think it's very exciting because that's more opportunity for everybody in the industry such as yourself such as you know, academy players such as casters like there is so much more job opportunity than there has ever been in esports and and i think that's that's great because the, 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 for a while it was kind of you know, lacking in, in a healthy ecosystem and we always struggled to find good people because there wasn't you know a load of different companies to, to, that are already doing this so i have to ask uh, you all have taken on several investment rounds and since those have happened, there has obviously been a significant rise in what evaluations are in esports and what a team is actually worth. Were you ever fearful that when you started to take investment and started selling equity percentages to other people, were you ever fearful that one day I can get more for similar amounts of equity or I can get I can sell at a higher price and get more for my, my company? Were you ever fearful of that 
back when you did do previous raises? I mean, opportunity cost is a real thing in every business, right? But I think we're not uh, you know, in a situation where we, we're, we're unhappy with any decisions we've made. Ultimately, Fnatic hasn't sold a majority of the company uh, and will not sell a majority of the company. Um, you know, we are, uh, uh, whereas you know, a lot of the U.S. teams have. And I think for us, we're about the long term. You know, we really believe in the future of esports. We believe that you know AR and VR and, 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 and mobile esports are all extremely, extremely exciting parts of, of where this business is going to go. Uh, I, I think the dynamics of esports long term are more valuable than traditional sports because of the way we can be in any game. So we have way less limitations and we, we have less reliance on the one result of one team. Um, and so for Fnatic, you know, I, I, you know, we haven't given away the shop, as it were. And so we're, we're, it's, not, it's not really you know, a, a problem yeah, to your question. And I think ultimately you know, the valuations are, are, are just the beginning anyway. So it's like you're talking about like, all right, maybe there's a 20% difference between X and Y valuation. But in the long term, you know, we're talking an order of magnitude difference from where they are now. So it's kind of crazy to me, you know, I've covered this industry for four years-ish, a little bit under four years now, and I remember in 2016 seeing teams like Team Liquid and uh, Dignitas and Apex selling majority, if not all, percentages of their company for what some teams now are raising for like 10 to 15% in terms of economics, which is just crazy. That, that scale and two years is nuts. And now, you know, we're hearing reports of evaluations in North America in particular of 160 million, 180 million, 200 million. And these teams are just, it just doesn't seem like it's going to stop. Like the, the ceiling is just growing and growing and growing. And what do you think of these sky high evaluations? How sustainable do you think that is? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I think sports is an interesting thing. Uh, uh, ultimately, scarcity is, is, is a real factor. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is that there are only a few legitimate players who have access to, uh, I guess, uh, franchise spots and, and, and other you know, opportunities. I, I think that that's sort of, there's a lot of billionaires in America who have uh, access to capital that like investing in sport. And, and I think that you know, ultimately that, that may have inflated some valuations. Uh, I don't think that overall... Uh, I don't think anybody's going to get burnt by it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's whether or not they're going to make a four x return or not is up in the air, right? But in the long term, you know, in in four or five years from now, do I think that those valuations are, are, are unrealistic? Definitely not. You know, if you were talking like unicorn level and and a billion dollars, and totally that's like crazy. But at this stage, it's like, do we think that any of these businesses? Will be worth 180 million in three or four or five years time, definitely, and therefore, like you know, they're not going to get burnt by that. They're still going to own that take. They're not going to lose any money. Is it going to be worth four or five x that? I hope so, and I and I think that that's you know uh, the way things are going in terms of viewership numbers. I mean, I've I've looked at the Formula One viewership numbers. It's declining, especially under 35, significantly. I then look at like our total viewership hours across all the tournaments that we're at. Based on you know last year's records, and it's going up quite significantly, and it's you know in some areas it's surpassing Formula One as a whole sport, which which is crazy, right? Like, and and that's because we're global, because we have multiple games, because you know there's viewership from all over the world, um, you know, including China, which is obviously huge, and uh, and and I think 
I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't get hung up on a couple of outlier valuations. I think the median is is is, is pretty fair. How do you think? How do you think people do make revenue on those evaluations? And also, uh, from the venture capitalists you've talked to or the investors that you've talked to and looking for your own team, but also just generally across the industry, do you think that they're more in this for the long haul like sports investors where they own something for 50 years until death? Or do you think they're more like tech investors who want to flip it in five or ten? I think the majority, vast majority, are... um Family offices, which means it's it's long term patient capital, um, I, I, and I think for those people, they are uh, you know at the end of the day, they have enough liquid assets. They're not trying to flip because they they just want to see their capital be increased. And at the end of the day, if that means that they're holding the asset for five, ten years, that's fine. Um, I think that the, the VC side. I, it's a little overblown how, how much they are looking try to, to flip. At the end of the day, they also have ultimately you know seven-year horizons often, and there are opportunities you know, if they do get that growth in, in their sort of four, five, seven x multiple, then you know, there will be other people that will want to come in and buy them out. They don't have to you know, flip the whole company, and that's the way we see it. We're not a hundred percent afraid of any any investor. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's you know, if they don't have control either, it's not it's not like they can force you to sell. Uh, and I think that we're looking for um, a long term, and, and we'll be very upfront about that when when we discuss these types of things. So this year, to me, is really kind of the evolution of European esports, particularly because I believe the Overwatch League will expand uh, in Europe. Uh, the EU LCS is going to be franchising this year. It will go through the same rigorous or vigorous application process that the North American League went through, which will span about six months-ish. Um, there's no doubt that both are going to probably be expensive. And European teams, I would kind of exclude you all from that because you are a long-term brand with a lot of global properties but european brands have had struggle uh raising money and maintaining a float how do you think that changes now with permanence coming into the equation in terms of spots across multiple titles overwatch league of legends and also just really kind of the global nature i think of both of those leagues and the way they're going to be advertised and, and things like that this year yeah, so I, I think that, uh, I mean, rumor is, at least, that there was significant interest in the new system last year in Europe from, you know, traditional players such as sports owners and sports teams specifically in Europe to enter the LCS. Um, but they, it was too short a time frame and, and, and from what I've heard, you know, they, were, they wanted a slightly different structure, which is, I guess, why it's gone back to being one franchise system like the U.S., so I, I think whether yeah, you, you, there will be enough franchise sports being bought, I don't think that's an issue. You know, I think there was something like sixty or something applications that went to the second stage in the U.S. I think there's a couple of people in the U.S. already that are, are have missed out on the U.S. franchise that might look at getting a European franchise. I think that um, you, you know we will see the European sports teams come in and. You know whether or not it'll be the same, you know, five, six, 
four endemic teams that stick around. I, I, it's all completely up to Riot. Um, obviously, I do hope that Fnatic is one of them. And, and uh, if you're listening, you know, we'll, we'll do a good job, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, we want the best for European League of Legends. And you know, whatever it means, I think that we're going to have those franchise filled by good people. What do you hope to see with the European LCS, right? Like, it's, they have not disclosed what they're actually going to do, so I think we're all kind of playing guessing games here. Um, but if, in an ideal world, a Sam Matthews' ideal world of what European LCS franchising looks like, from price point to revenue sharing, like, what are those, what do you hope those terms will be? <laughs> um, you know, the great thing about my role is I don't have to be uh, extremely in the know of every negotiation, which makes these questions quite easy because I don't have to tread on anyone's toes because I don't actually know the ins and outs of, of, of all the ongoing conversations in great detail until the time is, is right for me to find out. Uh, I think that um, for the LCS in EU, we are seeing very consistent viewership. You know, it's, it's slightly down from the US audience, but it's not significantly down. Like if you look at the numbers, I think you know, our last game was something like 250K concurrence. I think the uh, the top the peak of the um, U.S. was something like 320 the same week or something like that. So it's it's something like you know maybe a 20 percent decrease, 25 percent decrease. Uh, obviously, from a financial point of view, I'd always like uh, a, a, a cheaper price tag on a franchise if if it's possible. Um, and I think that that's something that we have to kind of go through a process and find out. But we, I have no idea what that's going to look like, by the way. Um, and but at the end of the day, I, I want a, a, a fair ecosystem where we can help promote the league, where we have rights to do things like sell content, uh, which includes League of Legends, where we have uh, a way to go out and promote it, where we have in-game items that we can promote and make revenue from, and just generally make it a kind of shared ownership structure which I think is the right way esports titles are moving and I think brands like Fnatic are more than happy you know extremely excited to, to go out of our way to, 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 to develop revenue streams and grow them with partners like Riot we want it to be more inclusive basically when Blizzard sold the London slot for the Overwatch League last year, you were very outspoken about not being at the table for that um, on Twitter. I did talk to Nate yesterday, and he said that there's a possibility that they would like to sell one more English franchise in the future. And uh, I know there's a lot of interest from people in America that own APL teams as well in esports, so they seem like... I guess ideal partners if we're talking about people that know Bobby Kotick and are multi-billionaires and have the capital and they have to start a new brand anyway. Is the Overwatch League something that that you'll consider this year when expansion comes up and something you'd like to be at the table at again? I love playing Overwatch. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a really good uh, um, tracer, actually. Uh, <laughs> look, I think Overwatch is a great game. I think it's got, um, you know, it's done a fantastic job with the league. It, when I, and what I mean by that is there's so many innovations in the league. It, the way that they've included it inside of the game uh, is really, I love that. I think that most esports titles need to copy those things. They've done an amazing job of selling and, and getting good sponsorship deals in getting the media rights going. Uh, for Fnatic, I've already told you that we're extremely focused on our brand. Um, 
I think that we would love to support somebody in Overwatch. If we Fnatic can't be in Overwatch specifically, then it's not Fnatic in Overwatch. It's whatever that brand will be. Um, you know how the economics of that look like, whether or not we can do a partnership with somebody else. It's completely up in the air. We're open to that. Uh, I, we, I would never rule anything out. Um, whether or not we would dilute our entire company to buy a franchise slot at this stage, um, when we, we're also doing hardware and we're also you know looking into other franchises, it's 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 not something we're focused on right now, basically. Um, but in all in all means, I think that you know, Blizzard have done a great job with it, and and I want to commend them for that. Uh, I think. Yeah, if there is other things happening, then we'd we'd, we'd be considered more, I, I guess, as, a, as, a, as an operational partner than than somebody that's going to come to the table and buy the spot 100% ourselves. So more like a, a Phoenix One deal, kind of like what they did with the Cronkies. Who knows? Yeah, something like I, for us, it's like I'm just gonna, yeah, we ha- we have limited resources, and, and this is not something that we're uh, you know aggressively focused on right now. Um, last last year. It, I just want to touch on that tweet. It was more a, a communication breakdown that caused me to, 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 to tweet that because you know, finding out that way was was not not the best you know, way to find out. Uh, and I, and I would say that you know we'd kind of been at the table a little bit, but it was in a different form. Um, that's kind of all I can say about it. It wasn't really uh, fully fanatic at the table when we went when we had the discussions with them. And so, you know, it wasn't always the, the, the full terms were, were, were not fully disclosed to us specifically. And at the end of the day, you know, if bygones be bygones, that's what happened last year. And, and it's not nothing that we have a problem with right now. So I think almost everyone in the ULCS will have to do some type of financial raise, the majority, I would say, of the league if as they approach this. Presumably, I would guess it's going to be around the u.s market number which was 10 million 13 million dollars for uh EULC, or for nalcs franchise i would imagine the ulcs is going to be somewhat similar means a lot of people in that league are going to have to raise money first question is is uh do you do you think if that's kind of the price point do you think Fnatic will have to come back to the table and look for more investors uh i mean you, you know who knows we're not already doing that <laughs> that's all i can say so then how does a pitch meeting for you look like in that sense? What, what do you bring with you? What kind of statistics and background do you bring a fanatic of like you approach an investor and go, this is what our company is and this is what we're looking to do. This is how much we're looking to sell. What does that look like for you? Yeah, so I mean, we are fanatic. Hi. <laughs> uh, I started this thing 13 years ago and still in it today. Crazy, huh? No. Most of the time, it's it's revolves around the fact that we have been very successful in, in, in multiple games over a long period of time. We've been in and out of different games. We are uh, very innovative. We're not resting on our laurels, per se. We're always trying to find new ways to improve and, and, and get better as a business. Uh, and so we, we're, that's why we went into hardware. We think that's an, an interesting area to, 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 to develop. And, and going forward, uh, you'll see some great new announcements coming up in the near future in the U.S. especially. Um, and uh, ultimately, you know, we're, we, we see ourselves as a brand first and foremost. And that means that we need to be strong with the team because they're a huge part of that brand. I guess... If you think about Red Bull, Red Bull done an amazing job where they were a drink, but now they're actually 
almost a sports team owner where they own like a football team, they own a racing company, they own like um, so many different sporting assets. And that's in a way a bit more like what uh, esports is becoming where you have one brand and you own different types of game assets um, and you manage those and try and be the best as possible at those, those, those titles. Uh, and so, you know, for us, um, we're, we're in it for the long haul. If you believe that sports is being disrupted by technology, which 100% it is, uh, then, you know, Fnatic is, is going to be there for the, for the long foreseeable future and you're going to be betting on the black and orange. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Really great interview. And uh, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks very much. And hopefully, like, you know, you don't leak anything bad about us soon. <laughs> no, but I massive respect, you know, to providing me multiple sources of information, which I needed to go into my investor pitches. Great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.